0: bit later on can I just invite you all on Saturday night to the uh, live music cafe that will be happening here on Saturday the uh, music and uh, free cakes and things like that should be a great event just to come and, and relax together As I said right at the beginning, we're going to, uh, Edward and I are going to embark on uh, a series in Romans in our evening services. And uh, just uh, um, before I came out, I was just reading Eugene Peterson's um, translation of the first few verses, but I'm going to read it from the uh, NIV, but... uh, and then I just read his introduction, I just thought I'd read it to you, because uh, he just has a way of just uh, encapsulating things. And I could pretend that it's me, and you might be all impressed, <laughs> until you went home and read the message, and then you think, hey, he's nicked all that. So, um, and I do often pinch Eugene and stuff, so uh, I, I'm sure he'll let me, I, if I ever bump into him, I'll own up. The event that split history into before and after and changed the world took place about 30 years before Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. The event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus took place in a remote corner of the extensive Roman Empire in the tiny Roman province of Judea in Palestine. Hardly anyone noticed, certainly no one in busy and powerful Rome Yet soon the whole world would be changed, Rome too. Paul takes the well-witnessed and devoutly believed fact that the life, death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth and he thinks through its implications and asks the questions, what is God up to? What does it mean that Jesus saves? And how can we be right with God? God. So we're going to read the first few verses of Romans together, and uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, if you want to follow it in your own Bibles, and it's on the screen as well. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand. Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pray as we... Spend time just looking at God's word together. Father, we thank you for your word. We want to be a people of word and spirit. And so we ask you now, as we have read your word, will you by your spirit just reveal more from it, the depths of it, the height of it, the breadth of it, the length of it, that we may Not only hear, but understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's not that Rome didn't have enough gods already. I mean, Rome was awash with gods. More than any other previous empire. Because they incorporated all their defeated enemies' gods into their own what they called Pantheon. They had temples dedicated to all the gods, the gods of Egypt and the gods of Greece. And they had family gods as well. Rome was the polytheistic power center of the world. Many gods. As they conquered the world, they swallowed up nations. And their way of just holding everything together was just allowing everything to meld together. But under Caesar, of course. Under the emperor. So Paul writes this letter about God. The God. The only God. And if you were to do a word count of Romans, God appears 153 times in this letter. More than twice as much as any other word. Jesus comes quite near the top 67. But the content is all about God. It's interesting that Christians got their name as a nickname in Antioch. We were first called Christians in Antioch. If you read in Acts 11 verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And it was a nickname because uh, Christians means little Christs. You know that, don't you? If we're Christians, we're little Christs. It was, whether it was a derogatory term, I don't know. But it kind of stuck. Imagine if the name that the Romans called believers in Jesus had stuck. We'd all be called atheists. It's now fascinating. Just to me, obviously. I thought it was really interesting. That actually, because atheist means literally without gods. And the Christians were called atheists because they didn't accept all these gods. You're without gods, you only have one. I'm looking forward to telling my next atheistic member of the Alpha course. This letter is all about God. He is the point of it. He's the subject of it. He's the reason for it. And Paul talks about God's gospel, God's son, God's wrath, God's revelation, God's glory, God's truth, God's judgment, God's decree, God's kindness, God's reward, God's law, God's relationships, God's name, God's word, God's faithfulness, truthfulness. God. And this amazing letter has been an influential letter throughout history, particularly. And Christian history, particularly, too. Even in recent centuries, it has been the key element to reformation and revival. Martin Luther, just reading through Romans, once again discovered and brought to the church again. Salvation is by faith alone, not by works. Got lost in religion along the way. And Luther says, no, this is what the Bible says. John Wesley, who was caught in that religiousness, then had an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit while listening to just the preface of Romans. And he suddenly has a child's faith in the sense of a child of God's faith. No longer a slave or a servant in the sense of duty, but realizing he's a child of God. And Evan Roberts, too, who was at the heart of the Welsh revival, would point to Romans as that cornerstone of revelation. And it's written by, as he describes himself, first word of the letter, Paul. And you know that Paul used to be called Saul. And Saul was uh, a royal name. First king of Israel was called Saul. It literally means "asked for from God. Yet he takes on a new name. Now Jesus gave new names to Simon, didn't he? And Paul takes on a new name, Paul. Interesting that he takes a Latin name. A Gentile name. A name that means small. Diminutive. Literally runtish, according to Simon Ponsonby. Imagine that. You've got a royal name. Kingly name. name that means so much, and you say, now I'm going to be Paul. And he describes himself in the NIV here, a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, actually, literally again, it means slave. But when Paul uses that word, he doesn't mean that you know, he, he has a relationship with God of, of duty. And you know, he knows what grace is. He knows what faith is about. But it's reflecting his background. He had been an opposer of the church. He had been a persecutor of the church. And now he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And whether he gives himself the name or someone gave him the name, he goes by the name of Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. It is an act of a humble man. It is an act of a born-again man, a transformed man. And only Jesus can do this. You know, it was a privilege for those of us to be in Camden this morning to hear transformational stories, all different, that the Lord who brings transformation. He met Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, on the Damascus Road, and he was set apart for the gospel, and Paul is a gospel man. Romans is the only letter we believe that Paul wrote to a church that he had neither yet planted or visited. He would visit Rome later, we know that. In fact, he would appeal to be tried before Caesar. He would die in Rome. He would be executed there. In the last desperate throes of the wicked Emperor Nero. As Paul's message was revolutionary, counterculture... And as Christians today, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a revolutionary message, which is counterculture. And will be more and more and more counterculture. Paul brings a message that a new king has come. The king has come. A challenge to the very heart of Roman authority. We, we can't perhaps comprehend that Rome and the empire was the biggest empire the world has ever seen. The stretch of Rome spread to the ends of the earth, as it were. And Caesar was the head of the superpower empire, who claimed the allegiance and loyalty of all its subjects. Yet this comes with a new message, the gospel, Jesus is king. And there is no other. So Paul, set apart for the gospel, writes this letter to the Roman believers. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And Paul says it is unique. We can probably relate the Roman world here, because we live in a polytheistic world where there are many gods worshipped, many ideologies, many philosophies, many religions, but there is only one gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a pick-and-mix world of ideologies and philosophies and religions. You can have a bit of Zen and a bit of yoga with a touch of Feng Shui and it might make you feel better. But it doesn't save you. It doesn't forgive your sins. It doesn't transform you. We, um, we watched The Life of Pi recently. We missed it when it was first out. We watched The Life of Pi. If you've not seen it. It's a weird film. But he, pie starts collecting religions. We live in that age. And the exclusivity and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ is an offense to people. Just this week, I was chatting with a, a, a chap who said, Well, what about my sincere Muslim friend? What about my sincere Buddhist friend? Well, Jesus is the one who saves. Buddha actually died saying, I haven't found what I'm looking for yet. Muhammad doesn't save. (coughs) Jesus saves. And Paul comes with that gospel into this pick-and-mix society that we're familiar with. Simon Ponsonby says that He sees it like this. Are all religions the same? Not at all. He said, if you go and see a color chart with the paint shop, you get all the beautiful colours and you mix them all together, what you get? And he says, you get mud. The gospel is unique. God saves. Religion is all about us, you see. Religion always centers on us. How we can do something how we can get to god how we can feel better but it doesn't save us the scandal of the gospel is that jesus is the way the truth and the life the gospel isn't just good news it is the best news the greatest news ever Satisfies the human longing, that God-shaped hole. Nicky Gumbel talks uh, in his little booklet, Why Jesus of a God-shaped hole. And and I believe everyone relates to that. There is something missing until we find Jesus. We can fill it with all sorts of stuff. And people look in all sorts of places to fill it. But it never satisfies. Only Jesus does. Because it's a God-shaped hole. You try and force religion into it, it doesn't fit. Jesus does. He satisfies that longing intellectually, spiritually, morally, eternally. And Paul says in this introduction that the gospel is the promise of God fulfilled. That God keeps his promises. That the coming of Jesus was promised right throughout the Old Testament. It was the promise to come. We know how promises are easily broken. How many of us trust politicians 100% now? I wasn't putting my hand up, by the way. This quote, the uh, United States President's spokesman famously said in a radio interview, the President has kept all the promises he intended to keep. The president has kept all the promises he intended to keep. Paul says the gospel has kept its promise. The promise that was spoken of by the prophets. Through the Holy Scriptures, says Paul. And the gospel is God's son-centered. It is the gospel, says Paul, concerning his son, regarding his son, God's son, who was fully human and fully divine. Jesus, human being, fully human, fully God. As to his human nature, the son of man, descendant of David, flesh and blood roots him in history. Like so many of the so called gods of this age, yet to his divine nature, he is the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, only begotten Son of the Father, declared to be the Son of God through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this is where Paul really stands. He stands on this. He has met Jesus, risen from the dead. That's his testimony. And those of us who have believed in Jesus have believed because Jesus is risen from the dead. We have had an encounter with God because he's alive, risen from the dead. Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus in his resurrection has the victory over sin, death, and hell itself. So in these introductory remarks, Paul brings this confession out. Jesus Christ as Lord. That's our confession. Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is the Savior, the Deliverer. Christ is the Messiah, the Anointed One, King of Israel. Lord, he is God. He carries God's name. He is the great I am. And the call of the gospel is to believe. Throughout the Alpha course, uh, these past nine weeks, I have been pleading with people to get right with God. That Jesus offers something that they cannot find anywhere else, that he came for them. And we've had the joy of seeing people respond. And in that response, they have become children of God. Sons, daughters of the living God. They belong. Belong to God. Not on the basis of what they've done, but on whom they have believed. The call of the gospel is to believe. The call of the gospel is to belong. The call of the gospel is... Is to obey. And it's interesting that Paul puts this word. Obedience in it as well. That as we come to Christ. We don't earn his love by obedience. But the overflow of our love for God. Shows itself in obedience. But the initiative is all God's. And to all who are loved by God and called to be saints and we're all saints. You don't have to have the pope come over and uh, do some magic sprinkling with I don't know what he does it with but he, and to make you a saint. Paul says we're all saints in Jesus Christ. And the gospel is for all for everyone. It's for the Jew and for the Gentile. It's for those of you in Rome. And for those of you. To the ends of the earth. And that's how Paul finishes. His introduction. He finishes it with grace. And peace to you. From God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again we don't. Get struck by this because until we read about it, we don't understand. Grace, Karis. Her traditional Greek Roman greeting and blessing. Peace. Sorry, did you? Did I wake you up, Karis? <laughs> Sorry. Grace, Karis. Glad you're with us, Karis. Where was I? Grace and peace. There we are. Grace, Greek, Roman, greeting and blessing. Peace, or shalom, Jewish, greeting, blessing. Paul brings them together. Grace and peace. For Romans and Gentiles and Jews, grace and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And together, Jesus is the hope of the world. And his grace and his peace is extended to all. And as we embark on this letter, and uh, he has some amazing stuff to share. But he wants us to base it all on our, just our faith, in Jesus. We who have believed in Jesus, we who belong to Jesus, we who re- await his return are on mission for him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news for the world. Let's just pray. Thank you for your grace and your peace. Grace, that unmerited, unearned favor that you lavish upon us. That we could never earn. But you give as a gift, forgiveness. Eternal life. Just because you love us, Lord. Thank you. Peace. Being right with God a peace that goes beyond understanding, a peace that holds us even in the turmoil of life. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us as we face a new week to live with that understanding and that foundation that we are yours by faith we're saved by faith in what you have done we are secure in you because you keep all your promises you never break one you are faithful and so we thank you for your gospel That 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing to the Romans about the gospel, writing into the tiny church in Rome in the midst of that massive Roman empire that people believed would last forever, yet crumbled. And here 2,000 years on, we're reading this letter, a letter that has had such an impact throughout history because it calls people back to the truth and the centrality of the gospel of Jesus for which we are grateful, Lord. And we confess, as Paul did, Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. A revolutionary confession, a counterculture confession. but it's what we hold dear. And so as we worship again, as we exalt Jesus as Lord in this place and Lord of our lives, let's bring worship and adoration to the one who has saved us, the one who offers that rescue to us. And all we have to do is receive it. Amazing grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together.
1: I believe you. I'm not afraid of i So... Sovereign Establish your throne. Let your will be.
2: Father, just as we stand in your presence, we just pray that you will reign in us. Just thank you, Lord, for that affirmation that we believe in you, Jesus. We know you are the Son of God. We know the price you paid for us. Lord, we just thank you tonight that, like Paul, you've been setting us apart for you. Father, just thank you that you are our sovereign Lord. Lord, just pray that you continue to work in our lives. Just pray for those baptized today, Lord, that they will know that new life in you, that promise of a new life that affirmation that we are all your children. We're children of God. and Father, we just thank you for the grace and the peace that you give us.
1: So It's perfect.
0: Father, we thank you for your amazing love (laughs) for us that you would send.